June is Pride Month, a time to celebrate LGBTQ plus people and the impact they have on history on an international, national, and yes, local level. So this final week of June, we're taking time to focus our local lens by hearing stories directly from our Moab community members. We're revisiting season one of Lift Up, LGBTQ plus visibility. We'll hear about being gay and non-binary in outdoors communities, how this rural area can inspire and also feel limiting And we'll hear about protecting and celebrating queer joy in our community. And just a brief reminder on context, this first season of Lift Up was produced in 2021, shortly after a homicide of a local queer couple rocked our community. In fact, this is the whole reason we have this program. We recognized that this radio station plays a role in deepening understanding and empathy within our community. Some of our interviewees mention this tragedy in their pieces. Okay, here's Ginger Cyan with an introduction to this episode. Sylvie was born and raised in Moab, but left when she was 18 to pursue a college degree at the base of the Wasatch Mountains in Utah County. Later, she found herself in the dry north coast of Peru, digging up bones, which somehow landed her in the rainy north coast of Spain, teaching English. About five years ago, she returned to the desert where her essence soul DNA feels at home, Since then, she has built on her DIY skills, served in local restaurants, started her own business, and joined Grand County EMS. She spends her time with family and loved ones and occasionally wanders the desert, wondering how to chase the horizon and put down roots at the same time. Matthew was born in the Utah Valley to Caribbean parents. As an undergrad, he co-chaired his university's Queer Student Association, and his capstone project involved archiving queer history in literature, philosophy, and films. His work has been published in various places, including Peculiar, the first queer literary journal in Utah. He first landed in Moab during Pride Week in October 2012 and has been living here permanently since 2018. He works at the Grand County High School and Back of Beyond Books. He is also community youth mentor and DJ at KZMU. Well, my name is Sylvia Bentley. I'm pretty sure that I'm 33 years old. I forget sometimes. Um, and I was born and raised in Moab. My name is Matthew A. Jonasant. I am 33 years old and I've been living in Moab since 2018. When I met Sylvia, it was when I was transitioning from being super, super embedded and very deep in the Mormon community that I was in growing up in Utah County, in Utah Valley. And when you, whenever anyone kind of separates themselves from that kind of community, it can be very dramatic because you go from having everyone in your life that you know, coworkers, schoolmates, whatever it is, your dentist, all of those people are like, you know, people that you see on Sundays and like people that you know, and you go from having that kind of general community to having nobody. Mm-hmm. So when I made yeah. that transition, I went really quickly to having no friends and no real community. And one of the first people that I met in trying to make new kinds of relationships was Sylvia. And in that sense, Sylvia is probably the person that's been in my life the most amount of time, the longest outside of anyone that's related to me by blood. Why were you at a point in your life where you were seeking um, a different community? Um, it's such a complicated, uh, answer. Um, one of the things that makes my 
Mormon exit, quote unquote, narrative a little bit different from others is that my family and my parents actually left the Mormon church years before I did. Uh, I actually parted ways with my family's connections and some of my friends' connections because I was interested in still pursuing a connection to the Mormon church, but in my own way. And so it was kind of a confusing time because I was thinking about deciding to enter a homosexual relationship. And I was also reading philosophy and I was also exposing myself to uh, religious and spiritual texts from different religions. But, I, but the thing was that I actually still wanted to be Mormon. At the same time, I was sort of discovering this gay identity, and that wasn't fitting in with a lot of gay people at the time in Utah County either. I would be told that I wasn't gay enough uh, on first dates and that sort of thing. There's, there's kind of this funny thing where I wasn't just like rebelling against the church and going and becoming a different thing. I actually was still trying to be a Mormon. So for me growing up in a small town and eventually coming out as queer, I would say, um, I actually didn't know that I was attracted to women for a really long time. I mean, I had like massive, there are crushes in retrospect. It wasn't really until I was in my 20s and actually in Europe while I was there in Europe, I was starting to kind of come to terms, if that's the right word. That's not really the right way to frame it. But I was just realizing that that was another aspect of my identity that I needed to explore. And uh, when I was in Moab growing up, I was a lot more aware of maybe some sort of gender fluidity on my half behalf rather than like an actual sexual attraction to women. Um, so I can remember when I was a really little kid and I would go to the pool and I had a dad who basically let me dress myself and he didn't have any sort of opinion about what I should wear. I wanted to wear swim trunks. I didn't want to wear swimsuits. I didn't want to wear a bikini. I had a normal little kid body at that time and I didn't understand why boys had to wear swim trunks and girls had to wear something else so i would wear swim trunks to the pool um and when i was really exceptionally little you know like six or seven it was fine but as i started to get you know eight a little bit older but still in a kid's body like i started getting treated differently for that um and I had like swim coaches, swim instructors make me wear t-shirts in the pool and things like that. So I was becoming aware that there were expectations for me um, that I didn't understand at a pretty young age. And I think that would happen anywhere, you know. It's not that I was in rural America or anything at that time. It was just I had a parent who was sort of letting me express myself in a way that made sense to me. And I ha was butting against... Um, basically cultural norms that um, I was becoming increasingly aware of. Um, and it got to the point where actually I remember walking out of the, so there the boys in the girls' bathrooms were divided and I would go in the girls' bathroom. I, I was, I felt like I was a girl. There was never any question of what gender do I feel that I am. I was, I just identified as, as a woman and I still do. Um, 
and I would wear swim trunks and I would get asked by kids like why don't you have a swimsuit and I would be like I don't want to wear a swimsuit and it seemed very natural um to just wear what I wanted and I would walk out of the bathroom to get into the pool and I'd have lifeguards like blow whistles at me and they'd flag me and they'd wave me over and they'd be like why were you in the girl's bathroom you're a boy and I'd be like no I'm not a boy I'm a girl and then I would get you know grilled about like well why aren't you wearing an appropriate swimsuit uh things like that and I would just be like I I'm wearing I'm just wearing what I feel comfortable wearing I just want to wear swim trunks um, and it got to the point where I was like, man, this is like bothering people so much. I guess I'll just use the boys bathroom and then I won't get, <laughs> I won't get in trouble anymore for wearing swim trunks. So I went into the boys bathroom, um, and it was weird in there. It was like cold and it was a different color and like they had chains to use the shower. You couldn't just turn the knob and like the water was cold and stuff. And I was like, this is uncomfortable and I don't like this place but no one bothered me while I was in there so that was interesting I remember the first time you articulated to me that you thought there was a possibility that you might be queer that you might like women and it's kind of a vivid memory for me because I remember that we were in your car and we were driving past uh, we were driving down Main Street past what would eventually become the Spoke. And uh, it was like that kind of classic experience you can hear described sometimes when people come out to their friends and their friends are like, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a little bit like that, but like it was like you were trying to say it and then I think you were kind of hesitating to say it a certain way and then suddenly you were like, I think I might like girls. And it, like, it changed the air in the car. And I waited for a moment and I was like, yeah, I mean, I think about the guys and like... <laughs> but, like, I remember that moment really vividly. Well, like, well, okay, so, like, growing up, you know, um, I, we used the word tomboy, which I'm not super fond of, but that's what I was described as and labeled as by my family. Not everyone in my family, but, and people around me would call me a tomboy. So there was kind of this expectation around me from family that I was a lesbian actually my grandma asked me when i was 17 like point blank sylvia are you a lesbian and i was like no and i felt really um resistant to that label because it seemed so box-like and i was definitely exploring my sexuality and i was ex also exploring my gender identity which those are different things and i think for me i was much more hung up on questions of gender rather than questions of sexuality so the the lesbian thing was um kind of uh abrasive i would say not that there's anything um not that there's any shame in that label at all but it just didn't feel right for me so i was kind of resistant to coming out at all because I felt like I had been predefined based on some preferences that I had that I also had a sexual identity that was attraction to women and I was struggling with that so it took me quite a while in my mid-twenties um, before I actually wanted to kind of own up to that a little bit. The, the closest I got to like a coming out experience with my father for whom my decision was a very dramatic thing. 
It was a super severe and, and awful thing. The closest we got to a discussion about it was uh, because of the precepts he had taught me about free will and making decisions and so forth and the value that he had for that. He got to a point one day in our conversation about it where he was like, but you understand that this isn't something you were born with. This is something that you chose. And the reason why I was able to flip the tables on him was because I was able to say, you know, dad, actually, yes, that's it. That is exactly how I feel. And I know that because that's how you feel, I know that you feel that decision and agency is a really important thing. You need to respect the fact that I've made this decision. And from that day forward, he actually didn't bring it up ever again. It became a thing that we kind of had uh, plowed over. And so that's the only reason I was able to even like reach that bridge with my dad is because um, it was kind of like a reversal of the same kind of argument he was thinking he would use against me. And then I was like, actually, it turns out that that's exactly my argument. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, I think we're lucky in a way that we're kind of moving away from the coming out narrative because it implies someone's in the closet and that implies shame. 100%. And so the fact that we don't have to have that narrative necessarily, I think is great because it means, um, well, one, I think we're seeing in media now, like so many queer or gay or you know characters that don't have a coming out story they just are yeah and i think that's great that that character can exist as queer with no major origin story um because then that means like you can have a a queer friend or a queer son or a queer daughter or you know queer uncle or you know and they just are and you don't have to question they're if they were born that way or if they chose that or anything like that they can just be that mm-hmm. and it's you can ask them about their experience but it doesn't have to be like a traumatic birth the way i think maybe it it had to be for the people that came before us yeah. and i think that's beautiful that we don't have to experience our queer identity as birth from trauma We just heard a piece from season one of Lift Up LGBTQ Plus Visibility. That interview was conducted by Ginger Cyan and was edited by Sarah Mead. We'll be revisiting all of season one this week in the newscast, but you can find episodes right now at kzmu.org under the special projects tab. There you'll also find season two of Lift Up, which is ongoing. Thanks for listening.